Comic book, comic book, does whatever a book does. Read by us while drinking, incoherent rambling. Look out, this is our podcast. Welcome to the SJW Comic Book Club, a weekly book club style podcast where three friends discuss a story arc or event in comics. Like most successful book clubs, we have three key elements, books, friends, and booze. I'm host number one, Monte. I'm host number two, Veronica. And I'm host number three, Melissa. The three of us have been friends for years, ever since middle school, and we've always been really into books, movies, and other types of media. So in this podcast, we take a story arc in comics, and we discuss it from a literary and progressive point of view, generally trying to approach comics from the perspective of people who are not as widely represented in fiction, hence the name SJW Comic Book Club for Social Justice Warriors. And before we get started talking about today's story, I have a question for you guys. Well, I don't actually have a question for you guys. Usually I do, but not this week. Uh, This week, I'm just going to ask you, what are you reading, watching, listening to that is interesting or making you happy? Yes, I finally have a chance to live up to my self-professed bookishness because I'm reading a book for the first time in a long time. It is called The House in the Cerulean Sea, and it seems really awesome. If you, in particular, are not wanting to reread Harry Potter this year for any reason, uh, I think this would be a good one to try. It's about a world where um, magic exists and magical people are regulated. The main character is a middle-aged gay uh, man who works as a social caseworker, and he he goes and he checks up on orphanages that house magical children. And he gets sent to a particular orphanage that's, like, top secret to check up on it and finds interesting people there. Cool. Yes. Is his name Harry? It's not. It's uh, Linus. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Linus. It seems adorable, but also, like, melancholy and depressing at the beginning. So I... Well, that's unfortunate. uh, (laughs) So far, I'm only maybe, like, a third in, but I, I would suggest it. I would recommend it so far. What about you, Melissa? Uh, I wish you would stop asking this question because <laughs> the answer is the same as it was every week <laughs> you've asked this question. I don't change, okay? I find something that has been done before, like a lot, <laughs> so that you can just dive into it and you spend like months trying to go from start to finish. So once again, I am watching Enterprise. I'm into season two, everybody. Ooh. And that's all I'm going to say about it because at this point I'm not going to stop watching it. I need to <laughs> I need to watch it to the season 4 finale which a lot of people on the internet hate and I need to know why they hate it. Like I don't want to just read <laughs> that they know. hate it. I need to like experience it myself. Yes. <laughs> that all all like all the cool things they were going to do and then like they hated the ending or maybe they liked the, I don't know. I want to know for myself. Fair and enough. I will so I yeah. That's where I'm at. Godspeed, I'm, Melissa. Godspeed. I'm, at, I'm with Captain Archer. <laughs> I'm in the middle of Captain Archer and Paul's. Oh, will they? Won't they? Sure. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Someone Doesn't matter. might care, but not <laughs> Melissa. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna see this to the end. Well, good luck. What's the What's the thing that they said on the Titanic as it was sinking? Oh, like, God. Uh, <laughs> why would you bring that up? <laughs> Why do you ask? (laughs) It's been a pleasure playing with you. (laughs) 
Um, I am reading a book called The Poverty Industry, which is all about how state and local governments in the United States contract out a lot of social welfare programs to private businesses. And that's the biggest reason that they're so poorly run and wasteful, uh, because those businesses have no incentive whatsoever to cut costs, because the more money they get from contracts, the more money they have, even if most of that money is not going towards providing the actual services. (sighs) Terrible. Terrible. Yes. We live in a capitalist hellscape. Yes. People like to pretend that privatizing everything is the way to solve problems, but... No. Privatizing makes things much worse, usually. Yes. People like to pretend sometimes that America is socialist already. (laughs) Oh, I wish. Or somebody wishes. We could all wish. I... I did not realize the extent to which so many welfare programs are run by private businesses, Mm -hmm. making the socialism arguments completely ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Just completely ridiculous. And also, some of them are the same companies that uh, do weapons manufacturing. (laughs) So the military industrial complex is pretty much the same as the poverty industrial complex. I think Lockheed Martin... Uh, which makes a bunch of weapons. They also do a ton of child welfare program administration. Wow. So, you know, that's cool. Great. It's like it's like when Jeff Bezos donates money to like <laughs> save the environment and you're like, you could stop Amazon from Yeah, you could stop harming it. That are harming the internet. Or sorry, harming the environment. I mean he is harming um, the internet too. But he is <laughs> just harming everything. Thanks yeah. for bringing us all down, Monte. I think you brought us all down by mentioning Enterprise. <laughs> well, you should have known that I was going to. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out an Archer argument. You should have known that I've been watching Enterprise, and you should have known not to ask that question, because obviously I was going to do that. <laughs> Why yes. didn't you stop me? Why didn't you stop me from doing a thing that was offensive or stupid? <laughs> Scott Bakula, I don't hate you. <laughs> Just He was worried. <laughs> he definitely listens to our podcast. Yeah. I love Scott Bakula. I think he's wonderful. I wish they had written his character a bit differently, though. <laughs> Great. He's in the shower a lot in Enterprise, he, I feel ooh, like. Well, that's all you need to qualify as a well-written character. Star Trek is already sort of a horny show, like all Star Trek. But like Enterprise, they just they just kind of like knock it up another notch on like the subtle level level, too. Like you see way more people being scantily clad, rubbing oils on each other, <laughs> detoxing, showering. I'm like, what is happening? Detoxing, <laughs> this is by far showering. the horniest uh, series I've watched Star Trek wise. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, each season, Veronica and I pick a theme for our stories. My theme this season is teenage superheroes. My theme for this season is stories about Magneto. And for this week, we read Magneto, Volume 3, Issues 1 through 3. And then we also read the sort of prelude, prequel, uh, issue Uncanny X-Men, Volume 3, Number 16. All of these were published in 2014. And Uncanny X-Men, Volume 3, Issue 16 was written by Brian Michael Bendis and drawn by Chris Bacalow. And Magneto, Volume 3, Numbers 1 through 3, was written by Cullen Bunn and drawn by Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. 
So in this story, Magneto has left the X-Men and he's kind of going solo on his own. Uh, there has been a problem that the X-Men have had or that mutants have had in general with random sentinels that are not really traceable and don't really conform to the rules that other sentinels have. Like they're not robotic. They seem mostly biological and they've been attacking and killing mutants um, all around the country. So this is a problem that the X-Men have been kind of unable to really address. It's just been kind of going on in the background. And so Magneto in this story arc is setting off on his own to address this problem, find who's creating these Sentinels and kill them, which is what he does. This story really goes into Magneto's internal monologue in a way that we haven't really seen so far. We've seen a lot of him interacting with other characters. We've seen a lot of him being... Uh, manic and shouty, but this Magneto is very subtle. He's very subdued almost, and we just see a lot of his internal monologue and kind of how he justifies uh, to himself what he does. Mm -hmm. So in our discussion, I want to mostly focus on Magneto issues one through three, uh, but we'll also talk about the Uncanny X-Men issue as well. I mostly just had you guys read it for background um, so that you can kind of see what yourself see for yourself what's going on since this was a pretty short read. But before we start talking about the actual story, what are we drinking this week, Melissa? Okay, for this week, I looked up Halloween spooky wine drinks for you guys because... It doesn't matter to whoever's listening to this, but today is Halloween. So I looked up sangria drinks and I made a spooky sangria with all the the darkest, blackest fruit. Uh, we got some blackberries. We got some black grapes. We got some apples. Don't look at the apples. Those aren't spooky. Um, Secret apples. Unless you think they're bones. Ooh. Creepy apples. <laughs> Creepy <Creeples>. apples. <laughs> this sangria is uh, its just a random recipe I found. It had a bunch of stuff in it. It had some apple cider, some pomegranate juice, some wine. You soak it with fruit. It's all good. <laughs> anyway, do you guys like it? Yeah, it's delicious. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I sadly got almost 100% apples, though. No, they're all at the bottom. Oh, at the bottom. The blackberries and the heavy. grapes sink. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you gave I don't me know a if you can ton. See them in here. So I'm going to well, have to dig to get to them. <laughs> I, so I made the sangria and then I split up the sangria into several different bottles and gave them to these guys because we're all recording remotely. Right. But yeah, I spooned out just a ton of fruit for you guys because <laughs> I cut up. A lot of fruit for this sangria. That's actually why I made a double batch because I bought, I put too much fruit in first. You went a little crazy fruit. with the fruit. <laughs> it was mostly like a like a fruit salad that was moistened with wine. <laughs> An so alcoholic I, fruit salad. Yes. Yeah. The dressing was just wine. I was really excited about the grapes and the apples. So. Fair. So what were you guys' general impressions of these? And feel free to bring in both of the stories that we read, this the main story and the prequel, if you want to talk about the prequel. So um, we've been reading a lot of Magneto stories, and we've encountered him before. Um, and as we discussed last time about his motivations, etc., I know we're going to talk about this more. But um, yeah, I felt like this was really in line with what I was thinking about Magneto recently. And I thought that Finally getting in his head 
was just sort of like gelling him more as a really concrete character. He continues, and he mentions this in this issue. Um, I have, obviously I know it's Magneto because it's a story about Magneto, but I have such a hard time recognizing him without his helmet. (laughs) (laughs) That's the point, apparently. Yes, apparently. Like, he's drawn in various ways. Generally, like, they all fit the same description, but he just kind of looks like a man, unless he's like a super buff man for some reason. Um, a very angry buff man. A very angry buff man. <laughs> uh, sometimes silent and sometimes shouty. But yeah, I thought this was really in line with what I felt like a Magneto story would probably be. Lots of not overly self-aggrandizing, but like very like like sort of poetic and philosophized internal monologue, uh, attributing a lot of meaning to the things <laughs> that he's doing. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I thought it was well drawn and well plotted for what a Magneto story would be. Um, and that includes the prequel issue. Although some of the prequel issue, especially at the very beginning, was a little confusing to me. So I think there's sort of like a imaginary sequence or something right at the beginning. Not yes. sure. Yeah. And it's uh, the so the prequel story is smack dab in the middle of the uncanny X-Men like of an uncanny X-Men run and mm-hmm. it so it's like building off of the previous ones but you you get the Magneto context in it which yes. is what we need yes. <laughs> which is murder straight from but... Dazzler's lips fake Dazzler so my general impressions for this Magneto story is that it's my favorite one so far and kind of at the top of my list of all of the superhero stories that we've read kind of This story, I was reading it and I got interrupted a couple times for, you know, normal reasons you get interrupted for reading. And I kind of was really annoyed every (laughs) single time I was interrupted because this story like sucked me in and I was really into it and I wanted to know what was going on and everybody else's life and problems and things they needed from me weren't as important. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if anyone's ever felt like that while they're reading like that's how i felt when i was reading the story but i agree with veronica that magneto he kind of got a he got a revamp he got a makeover he looks totally (laughs) different than the adonis like hercules with white hair kind of figure that he looked like in previous stories you read this season and this time he almost looks like more of a lex Luthor type character like i was talking to monte about and if they didn't call him Magneto, I wouldn't have known. Jumping <laughs> from the two stories that we read. Yes. I don't know. I just, I really liked it. I thought the, the, the writing was so well done and the artworks flowed with the tone of the story. And I don't know. It was good. <laughs> Fair. Yep. This is favorite comic so far. <laughs> A quite short know. Magneto run. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to say it's my favorite. So like of all the comics we've ever read, but like especially of some of the superhero comics we've read since some of them have been not that great some a lot of them have been pretty (laughs) medium for me but this one's at the top of the list at any rate nice (laughs) um so i like i have hinted at every time that i've talked about this comic uh i really really love it and i really love this whole uh this whole volume not just this these first three issues but all of them are just really really good I think what I appreciate the most about this is that it's not it it is a superhero comic because you have it's about 
a super person, um, not a hero. As we dis- as <laughs> Magneto, not a hero. Yes, as was made clear in the last Magneto story that we read, not a hero, but a super person. But it's not written like a superhero comic. It's not drawn like a superhero comic. I would like the art in this story is much more like a horror story. Uh, with Magneto as like this Terminator kind of character. And it's just so determined and grit. Like the art itself is just very determined and kind of grim and hopeless. And it really puts you into the mindset that I imagine Magneto is in at this point, which is really, really great. And yeah, I was going to say, it really reminded me of like a Frank Miller Sin City style of art. Mm hmm. If you've ever read any Frank Miller. Yeah, which Gabriel Hernandez Walta deserves a ton of credit because this is uh, kind of similar to we've read other things that were like this. Um, Lock and Key is one where we said it. And then I think there were a few other stories where we talked about how the art really complements the story. And I think that's true here. But even more so, the art sets the tone for the story mm-hmm. in in this in a way that Absolutely. I don't think it has in any of the other ones. Um, so that's, I mean, I I do like the story a lot, and I think it it's very interesting, and obviously it gives a lot of insight into Magneto. But my favorite thing about this is probably the art, just because it's so it's not pretty. It's not. I I wouldn't say. I think if it was drawn in any other story, any other story that was drawn this way, I don't think that I would necessarily like. But because it sets the tone so well is why I love it so much. So yeah, I really like this story. Yeah, I will. I forgot one thing in my general impressions. Monte, when you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast about the behavior of Magneto, how he's more subtle in this story, I will say yeah. that subtle for Magneto <laughs> <laughs> He's not subtle for other people. Yeah. Subtle for Magneto (laughs) is quietly walking into the coffee shop and then throwing a man through the glass and then and spiking traffic signs and poles through that man's mouth in the middle of the street. That is true. That is how the story starts. Yeah. (laughs) Walking into a police station, not saying anything, just exploding everything literally yeah, around him tearing everything to pieces and then making a helmet out of the debris all without lifting yeah. a hand so you know what i i think subtle is not the word i was looking for i think it was it's a different word maybe more subdued <laughs> subdued yeah, is what i was gonna say Subdued, definitely but not subtle you're right it's, it's been taken down a notch but not not in the flair and dr- dramatic yeah. category you are Just right in the, like a little bit more invested in how he how he goes about it it's not yeah the band-aid off this story does literally open with him having impaled someone with street signs in the middle of the street so yeah not subtle you're right point taken it does it does end with him collapsing an entire facility as well he doesn't just kill everybody in it he he like it, it, it like collapses into the ground. Yes. Yes. So. Point taken. <laughs> um, so that is a pretty good segue into our first uh, discussion point here, which is the pacing and the art of the story. Um, so I already gushed about it, um, the art. But is there anything else that anyone had to say about the art? Like anything that anything that was like kind of off for you or something that I just didn't mention. It's kind of reminiscent of some other things that we've read. Yeah, it's 
kind of an interpretive style where it's like conveying the mood. It doesn't have a ton of very precise detail, nor is it like super sketchy. It just, it's getting the story across and the mood. And I can't exactly place like how that lives in my head. Like it's not cartoony. It's not comic booky. It's this other style that I see in a lot of places, but mostly, yeah, it reminds me of Frank Miller. The very like blocky, like, I guess it's like a very moody style. Yes, it's very gray also. Like mm-hmm. there's there's not really a whole lot of color or anything like you would expect out of a superhero comic, which usually, you know, the color and the the campiness is what I go for, but it really which is why I said like if it was another story, I probably would not like it, but it just yeah. fits this so well and sets the tone so well. Right. Keeping the colors somewhat subdued, especially like in his flashback scenes to like all kinds of things. Sometimes it's like he's flashing back to the destruction of Genosha and everything's just red, like blood red. Or he's flashing back to his childhood as a German Jew running from uh, Nazi people and everything's like gray and rainy. And then the one panel where his like friend gets shot is like blood red as well. You know, so I think I think it's a very effective use of storytelling, the color, the the way everything's framed. I was not confused at all ever in this story of what was happening, the logic of the panels and like what someone was doing. I mean, it kind of was like chaotic when he walks into the police station and everything's just chaotic and you don't know what's going on, but also it wasn't neither confusing. does anybody else. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't confusing. Yes. Yeah, I think that's especially like yeah, we've read a few stories that are kind of a similar style, but sometimes they would be confusing in the pacing. So both in its artistic merit and in its like technical proficiency, like the storyboarding as well as the art is super accomplished. Mm-hmm. I so since you mentioned the pacing, one of another thing that I really like about this story is I usually hate flashbacks. Um, <laughs> But the way that the the flashback specifically to the flashback that Melissa mentioned to Magneto's childhood um, and the the story with Levi and uh, Abner, was his name? Mm -hmm. Uh, Avner. Avner, yeah. Uh, Levi and Avner, the way that that was juxtaposed with, you know, Magneto preparing to confront these people and just... In the the tent city? Yeah, the, the people who were kidnapping the vagrants in the tent city and then just the it was it was so impactful because it was like magneto thinking about his childhood and thinking about himself and there's what he take like the lessons that he takes from that experience which i don't think are the lessons that a normal healthy functioning person would take from it right um no so it's just it says so much about his psychology just the lessons that he takes from it um, so let's start off the discussion with Magneto with this flashback, because I think it's a great storytelling device. So yeah, this was my main takeaway from this story. Okay, so yeah, as I discussed um, in our last Magneto story, like what I thought his motivations were, how I thought he got his goals from his trauma, and then it was shaped by his narcissism, how it like how it like manifests is shaped by his narcissism. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this really was like that unknown key that we hadn't seen yet that proves it. 
like this is the missing link essentially that like yeah we see this traumatic situation in his past and we see how he interprets it as like this was a divine providence for me to to undergo this situation and it clearly like has scarred him to see his one friend sacrifice their other friend specifically not magneto and then the friend who outed them avner is still killed like he's that's obviously highly traumatic situation um and then he's interpreted it as i was meant to be saved my friend was meant to be sacrificed for me to witness it and there was meaning to me living through this situation and that is how a lot of people process trauma but his is heightened through his intrinsic sense of narcissism yes most people would take that and say you know i need to do something with my life that's worthwhile because i lived and my friends died mm -hmm. and most people would take it that way you know god is intervening for me to do to use this experience to do something positive or just to do something period maybe not even necessarily positive but magneto takes it as uh i was born with divine purpose mm -hmm. uh and you know to usher the world into this new future. The second lesson he learns is a great way to psychologically torture someone into giving you information yeah. yes. and then killing them afterward. Not only uh, was there a metaphorical meaning to that situation, but literal training in how to get what you want. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that uh, is, it's often shown with Magneto, because, and this is another case of it where it will reference his his trauma in the Holocaust and his past in the Holocaust, and then will immediately show him doing something that the Nazis would do or mm -hmm. something that the Nazis did. Um, and this is, I think, the only time where that happens and it doesn't come off as gross to me, mm -hmm. you know? Right. Like, it's the same concept, but it was handled in a more skillful manner to actually display, like, what they want to say about that. Yes. And just so for the context for it is the flashback is Magneto has stolen some food with two of his friends. So there's the three of them. One of the friends gets caught and the Nazis are asking him, who were you with? We saw you were with someone. He names Magneto's friend, the uh, third. Levi. Yeah, he names Levi. Uh, and it's presumed that Levi is then killed with his family unless he got away, which Magneto doubts. And then Av Avner is also shot in the back of the head. So he's executed as well. Right. So the Despite only one being promised that if he gave up a name, he would be spared. Yes. Uh, and that also teaches Magneto this ruthlessness and this non-cooperation, which I think we see later in the story of just, you do not give the enemy an inch, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which is what he does later with, I don't think she's given a name, but the doctor, uh, he just categorically rejects everything that he, she says he doesn't care about her point of view um and he does end up killing her pretty mercilessly yeah and then yeah, killing the lady, everyone else <laughs> the doctor who is basically creating sentinels inside of humans so that it's like right like cyborgs but with sentinel technology that they can't control yes, yes. And apparently they don't even, they're not even aware of it. They're like sleeper agents or something. They don't, they're not aware that they can at any point uncontrollably turn into a sentinel robot monster with guns coming out of their arms and chests and like destroying other people that they are just standing next to. Yeah. Yeah. And this actually, so, damn it. 
Uh, we did skip talking about them. The, <laughs> we can go back. The group. So let's just, before we really get into Magneto's internal monologue and everything, the question that I had on here was, how do this story's human bigots compare to the bigots in Magneto, Not a Hero? Do you think they're more realistic, more sympathetic? What do you guys think about them? Specifically, the bigots you're talking about are the the doctor's plan was to have sentinels to guard an area where humans only live right and that she didn't actually mean to hurt anybody except for the homeless people that she that they were kidnapping actual humans (laughs) yes uh, so her name her name is dr um elizabeth elaine and magneto um ostensibly there's someone not above her necessarily but someone they've contacted to find the master mold of sentinels so um that's still an enemy in the future for magneto to find but this group I think they've created like an un- literal underground sanctuary where they intend to live guarded by these like jury rigged sentinels made out of humans and then with sentinel technology plugged into them um, to protect them from the mutants. Yes. And she feels she's like Magneto comes in and like takes her hostage and is using her to like explore the facility and she's trying to justify. She's like, we're just trying to get away. We don't want to hurt anybody. But they've, they're they kidnapping vagrants and essentially, yeah. like, destroying them and enslaving them. And they've let several escape. And they just go out and are programmed, because they're sentinels, to just kill mutants. Despite even not wanting to. Like, the one guy that he finds, yeah, he's like, he turned himself in and he's like begging for understanding that I didn't mean to kill anybody. And I think they're really talking out their asses for real. I think they could have did a good job. In the previous Magneto Not a Hero, I did think that the human bigots had an element of sympathy that they in some ways they don't understand like the depths of what they're doing. And it's not like in some ways we say they should understand how their bigotry is bigotry, but I feel like with this story, for me, I was not really sad when the doctor died because even though she sounded like I wanted to give her sympathy, she, oh, I just want to protect people. I just want to help people. The storytelling had done such a good job of using parallelism with Jews in the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. with these vagrants, like homeless people in a tent city. Like, so it compared like... Jews trying to survive Nazism, basically, essentially, to all these homeless people. And then they take this woman who's just so separated from it, who's hurting people, like, and not just a few people, like, dozens of people are being hurt because of this. And yes, like, three mutants were killed, or like, you know, a handful of mutants have been killed, too. And she doesn't even really apologize for it. She says, well, I admit that we should have tried harder looking for them. And every everything that came out of her mouth was just an excuse for me. Yes. And it was just, I was like, you, this is like, none of your words mean anything because all of your actions point to that you don't actually care about people. Yes. Right. So your words are are empty and hollow. So when he destroyed everybody in that building and her, I mean, I don't know, maybe there was a janitor that didn't deserve it. You know, <laughs> maybe there was like well, random people in there that 
couldn't have, I don't know. But. I think because when it shows all the storage bins being un- unpacked, it specifically shows like a crib and a rocking horse and stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do think that there were like families there as well. Oh, yeah. So that's not okay. Like I, I feel more sympathetic about those people than yeah. I do about the doctor and all of her test subjects. Yeah. I don't know if they were event, like it was one of those things where it's like eventually they're going to move kids in. But I would yeah. assume like the way that I felt because like, but why? Because her words would already say that. So to me, it was like, oh, yeah. well, there must be families there already because why would they go like make a specific point to show, you know, these cribs and mm-hmm. right things for children because yeah. she she says that they she already says you know that they want families there and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. my impression was that they hadn't set everything up yet, but it could totally be the other way. Yeah. 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 It's hard to tell because we only see the doctor and then basically program sentinels and or people who are being basically tortured. Like these people are being abducted and experimented on, mm-hmm. and they're as much of victims as the mutants that and are she, killed because of them. She thanks them for their sacrifice. Ugh. They're unwilling. I, that's always the worst. Like, thank you for doing this thing for us that I forced you to do and you yeah, have they're yeah. literally being kidnapped. Like it's yeah, not like, even like they're being tricked. They're literally being kidnapped. And it, the fact that because they say that it happens on a regular basis. So that to me yeah. means that either a lot of them are dying and not surviving the process or that a lot of them are escaping uh, mm-hmm. if they're having to continuously go back on a regular basis I, to kidnap people. Or that they're creating an outsize army, like a full yeah. army of people that is not justified to protect one facility. Yeah. One thing also that isn't directly mentioned in here i just kind of thought of it but that sort of justification in the doctor's mind of we're doing things for the the greater good and therefore i can basically harm people uh to do so they did the nazis did that yes the nazis experimented on people and basically killed them after torturing them for a long time to learn a lot of very useful things about yeah, a lot of science, science and medicine that we've built on to this day. Yeah, and they did it at the expense of hurting people, um, and that's what she's doing. And there's really no excuse for it because we know that we science can move slower without it, but it's not worth it, right? Yes. And Monte, to answer your question of like how these compare to the um, the other bigots that we saw in Not a Hero, like. To me, they both seem like they could easily exist in the same world. Like, Mm -hmm. they're just people who try to do what they're doing publicly and people who try to do it, like, insidiously and much more... Like, essentially people who are advocating for action and people who are taking action. Because the bigots we saw in the other one, they're, like, going to rallies, they're holding signs, etc. And we see these in the the prequel episode of this one, too, from Uncanny X-Men. There's, like... A mutual protest going on? There's people with like yeah. pro mutant signs and anti mutant signs. Yeah, the right. pro the first demonstration was pro Cyclops and pro mutant, and then there's also some anti mutant demonstrators there. Yeah, um, and I would say you could argue that these people, while horrible, are exercising their right to free speech, whereas the doctors, the the doctor that he killed with the post signs mm-hmm. was literally doing things with his life that like hurt mutants and stuff like that. Right. So 
like and the, people. The, the, the shades and of gray. <laughs> yes. The shades of gray that come with bigotry. Right. The various yeah. ways that it manifests, what people are willing to do if they're willing to take a decisive and illegal action, or if they're just going to stand. I mean, just. If they're if they're going to stand in the street and protest and advocate for yes, I think also you could make an argument that Christopher Bach was not sincere and that this was Ooh. mostly about money and power. Whereas yeah, yes. uh, Elizabeth, what what was her name? Elaine. Elizabeth Elaine um, was not. She she didn't seem to. I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure that it is making money somehow for the people right. involved because it always is. But mm-hmm. you know, the Nazis, it was an economic system. Uh, right of slavery that they set up in concentration camps but uh yeah the nazi german economy ran on slave labor from the concentration camps uh but also there is this sincere belief that you can see in her that she truly believes like she's truly bought into the bullshit that she used to justify herself whereas i don't think christopher bach did Um, no and i think also that Elizabeth Elaine and her group is probably, I think that both of them are very similar to the forces of bigotry that we see now. But I think Elizabeth Elaine, a little bit more so just because of, you can just see the double speak and the way that she truly believed it. You know, I, it was just, it's very, it's, it was very real. Like I could, I could definitely see like, I agree, though, like Melissa said, like you you almost feel sympathy for her because it seems like she has these truly held beliefs. Like, it doesn't seem like she's lying and cheating to get power for herself. But it's sort of the it's the same kind of feeling you get from cult leaders sometimes, or at least from like the high level people underneath cult leaders, because I often feel like cult leaders themselves are they feel very disingenuous because they're in it to amass power around themselves, which is the same as money and power, essentially. But disconnected from the regular society they want to create a new society where what money and power means is different and goes only to them but yeah so you don't necessarily feel like she's a hypocrite in her in holding a belief but she's definitely a hypocrite in pretending to be altruistic and care about people and not want to hurt anyone when really she only cares about a certain type of person yeah Especially with the irony of, and they do such, a, once again, a great job with the storytelling, with the flashbacks of her, him in this facility and her talking about, I, we just want to build a safe haven for humans with sentinels as the guardians when there was a safe haven for mutants and sentinels killed, was it millions or billions? Millions, I think. It was, yeah, it was like 12 million. I don't remember. Don't quote me. Some millions, <laughs> millions of mutants were murdered and massacred, and she basically has the gall to tell <laughs> Magneto, yes. "Don't you oh, see? Well, it was sixteen. We million. need a safe place, and we're going to use Sentinels to protect us when those were those those were the creations that killed so so many innocent mutants. Yes. So it's." He says, it falls flat. so what he says in the flashback, Genosha was meant to be a sanctuary, a nation of mutants living in living together in peace under my rule. 16 million mutants were massacred in a single attack. What was meant to be a safe haven became a mass grave because I blinked. Right. Once again, uh, he thinks he has kind of all the right that the it's all on him. Yeah. Yes, it's yeah, all about all him. him. That was kind of interesting because it felt kind of like 
a sudden doubt of that as a strategy even because clearly what it ended up being was they were all in one place to be massacred more easily and it seemed a little bit while he was going through this argument that the logical conclusion was like if we're still being targeted like this by things like sentinels then the solution is not to gather all together and it almost felt like a moment when you, he might have been able to see Charles Xavier's point of view of living peacefully together, but it didn't come to that. Yes. I don't, I don't think that I, so when I was reading it, especially uh, in giving with the first, the prelude that we read. So in the prelude, uh, Mystique has created a sort of, it's not really a mutant sanctuary. It's just a, it's a mutant Island where there's all mutants, but her goal is not necessarily a sanctuary as much as it is just an island of debauchery, kind of. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, we see... So in, in these stories, we see Mystique's vision for what a mutant safe hold could be. We see Cyclops's vision and how that all, you know, fell apart in Avengers versus X-Men and kind of burst into flames. We see Magneto's vision of Genosha and how that was destroyed by an outside actor. And then we see the human vision of a sort of separatist sanctuary. And I don't, I don't really know based off of this story, what Magneto thinks should happen because it seems like he still thinks that Utopia is the best of the four, mm -hmm. you know, or of the three for mutants, it seems like he thinks that Utopia is the best, but then he leaves Utopia, and he's been informing on Utopia. Right. Or not on Utopia, but on the former leader of Utopia or whatever. Right. So I guess, so this is a pretty good transition into the next discussion point, which was, does reading Magneto's internal monologue change your perception of him as a political actor or just someone who needs an outlet for his rage? And we can add his trauma onto that as well. Um, I think it just further, like I said, my general impression, like it's further like a missing link to my impression of him because I really think that he wants the results that he says he wants, but he wants mutants to be safe and he wants them to have a place, whether that comes from like a internal feeling of self, like he has always wanted a place to feel safe, etc. But the fundamental place that that breaks down is he thinks that he should be able to actuate that now, like, and that it is contingent on him. So, like, he wants those things, but he doesn't comprehend that, like, that could exist without him, that could exist in a way he doesn't envision, that will need to keep existing after he dies, etc. Like, it's kind of like a desperate attempt to... I'm distressed by this. I have this trauma. I need it to be fixed now is my impression of him. Yeah. I would say that a lot of his decisions are rage-based as we see kind of how, how, how we're connecting his memories and learned um, aggressions and, and ruthlessness from his memories of things that have happened to him. And so he's learned to make decisions when he encounters a range of people who have done things against mutants in this comic and he always reacts in the same way which is ruthless i'm gonna end it right now you're you're dead 
you're going to pay for your actions or I see you as a threat. I'm not going to incapacitate you in any way. Like, I'm just going to kill you. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to kill you, like, really quickly. So I'm trying to, like, basically answer your question by, I understand that his decisions are rage-based, but whether or not that, I don't know, makes his overall actions, whether it's just, like, really short-sighted or whether it's this bigger picture of him... Yeah, like his immediate decisions and the way that he responds to immediate stimuli is through rage and through his trauma. Because again, like going back to that flashback, that Nazi flashback, like that's what he learned is you do not give an inch. You do not negotiate. You do not compromise because they will kill you if you do. And then also, you know, that's what the Genosha flashback kind of hints at. You blink, you put down your guard for one second, they will destroy you. Um, But he does have these overarching political goals that he's working towards outside of those rage and trauma-based decisions. Right. And this might be a little bit at odds with his persona in Not a Hero, where the impression was that, like, he's playing a long game essentially like he's working with scott not because he's become weak and subordinated to scott but because he's going to do that to get what he wants but that's at odds with this way that he's so reactionary to situations it's like he doesn't understand that by making these decisions he's losing options in the future like once you're branded as a terrorist and once you continue to act by massacring a whole police department full of people like you're losing the ability to negotiate in certain ways in the future and i think that's a lot of what we're seeing in a lot of these issues i don't know if it's magneto's character if it's the people who are writing him if it goes to that like professed bipolar designation but like yeah he seems to waffle between like this quiet rage this loud rage this like planning and scheming and this reactionary situation yeah he's very he's an enigma (laughs) (laughs) well he's a very complicated character um and i think when you add in the layers of his trauma like this story does so well then uh he becomes even a little bit more complicated which is something that i like this story it explains things that we've seen so far And then it also adds in a little bit more. Yes. The most telling revelation from this is I always, from what we've read, could tell that his like fundamental personality was based on his trauma. But to see here that he has these like flashbacks in the moment while people are talking to him shows just like, yeah, how much in the moment his trauma is coloring his behavior moment to moment like the doctor is talking to him about her plans and he's having active flashbacks and thoughts of his past in that moment of genosha and of the nazis and etc like it's very present and contemporary to him yes and i think he also sees a bit of his own rhetoric in uh elizabeth whatever her last name is and it just enrages him Yes, how she kind of is a connecting link between things Nazis would say and things he says. Yes. She says both. Yes. Yep. 
and it infuriates him. Yes, with himself, I think, but he expresses it outwardly. Yeah, I think I that is one one thing that I think is revealed in this story that wouldn't be revealed in other stories is that Magneto is deeply conflicted about his own being. Like he has to spend so much energy justifying his actions to himself just constantly like his entire internal monologue is justifying what he's doing to himself yes <laughs> which oh. i think based on other things you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be the case like if you're reading magneto war where he's this manic shouting person or even magneto not a hero he seems very very self-assured and very completely comfortable with his own decisions you wouldn't think that he would be spending this much time in his head justifying himself like magneto has a lot of enemies obviously because he's the big bad of x-men for a long time but i think it's telling that it's always written that the his like main nemesis the person he conflicts with the most is charles xavier who's also his friend someone who knows him the best and now that charles xavier is gone He doesn't have this external person arguing with him that he can be defensive towards, and it allows his own criticisms of himself, which Charles Xavier knows he would have, and that's why he tries to appeal to him. He's now in conflict with himself because he doesn't have that external person to argue with or go up against. That's I uh, the prequel story that we read but aren't real didn't really talk about had a lot of that in it the comparisons between Magneto and Xavier. And I think it's Dazzler who says, uh, you know, Xavier dying, like really fucked you up. (laughs) (laughs) And nobody's thought about how much it fucked you up because you guys were enemies or whatever. But I can see like, you're, you're really fucked. Well, it wasn't Dazzler though. It was Mystique Mystique. who knows Magneto much better than Dazzler would. And so it makes sense that she would, kind of see that when other people don't see it right charles xavier was magneto's conscience and when it was someone else he could ignore it yes and now he can't oh no oh no oh bother (laughs) um yeah any other last things melissa there was plenty of drama in this story uh it was was. subdued and more subtle not subtle it wasn't subtle it was it was dramatic, but he's found a way to like hone his flair <laughs> in a way that you don't see it coming. It's like bam, <laughs> and a boom. There's a bunch of spikes through a man's face in the middle of the street. <laughs> yes, that was clearly <laughs> unnecessary flair. Like that was done for flair. One thing we haven't really talked about is the random page where the shield agents are trying to figure out what happened at the police station where Magneto came tried to kill the guy who killed three mutants oh. turns out he was a secret sentinel that's why he killed him and the shield agents were are just kind of like well looks like we're still 10 steps behind magneto <laughs> um and they see like a random crowd of people gathering at the bank or not, i want to say it's a bank at the post office police and, station po- yeah the, yeah police <laughs> station and this guy <laughs> this guy they're like why are you here are you witnesses he's like no nah. We're fans. And he opens up his like flannel shirt and there's just a Magneto is right t-shirt and they never touch on like who these people are. They never come back. I think it's just to show that like people just love Magneto and his flair. Yeah. The flair attracts followers. Yeah, it does. 
Doesn't matter like what he's doing with that flair and drama. Nope. Doesn't matter. <laughs> they they probably can't even understand the like all of the context behind the people of why Magneto's killing them. They're probably just like I like watching train wrecks, I'm eating popcorn and I just like watching other people other people suffer. I don't know, maybe it's like a social commentary on something, maybe. Who knows? <laughs> on something, maybe. <laughs> yeah, the the scene in the police station is interesting because I think it also really highlights the fact that, like, and I don't really even know what to make of this necessarily, but, you know, Magneto finds out that this thing is happening. The X-Men have been actively trying to find out where these Sentinels are coming from and everything, but he doesn't reach out to Scott. He doesn't reach out to S.H.I.E.L.D. He doesn't reach out to any of these groups that would be able to, you know, who are equipped to handle it and they would have been able to. He instead decides, you know what? I'm going to massacre these people and that way that threat is never going to come up again. I think this Magneto is very disillusioned. Like, he kind of, he bought into the idea of utopia, and I think despite himself, he bought into the idea of the X-Men a little bit, and then to see that all go up in flames in Avengers versus X-Men, and then a few other things that have happened in the lead-up to this, uh, these issues, he has become very disillusioned, like, with himself with the other leaders of the mutant race, and then also with Xavier being dead, it's like he is just completely hopeless. He doesn't reach out to anyone for help because in his mind, there is no help coming. Mm -hmm. And it's a little sad. Yeah, it is a little sad. I mean, Magneto, at the end of the day, was always the most idealistic. (laughs) Yeah, he was. In the most brutal and violent way, but he believed in his ideals. Mm Mm-hmm. He is simultaneously idealistic and very cynical. Yes. An idealistic cynic uh, is the most dangerous kind. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, Magneto. All right. So now that we have discussed this story at length, we've talked about Magneto and his motivations. We've talked about Elizabeth, whatever her name is. Um, are there any last words or changed opinions about this story or its characters? So I really did enjoy this story, as I said at the beginning, and I thought it really kind of cinched my view of Magneto. Um, I was pretty surprised that you guys liked it so much. Uh, I still don't entirely see how it's so great of a comic, like no shade, but it's interesting to hear your perspectives on that. First of all, I'm offended. <laughs> Second of all, I thought it was good. <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Third of all, I just really liked it. It was just, I don't know, it's one of those stories that I I just clicked. Everything I think it was trying to say, I understood. Like or like it, it like it 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 meant something to me. Oh, personally. <laughs> um, I don't know. It just, I really, I, I love these kinds of stories. These are the kinds of stories I love, and it was great. Yeah, I I think that it was, it's a very different kind of story. And for someone who reads a lot of X-Men and a lot of, Uh, Sometimes X-Men can get very formulaic and very repetitive a little bit. Um, Still love it, but it can. And this is the kind of 
superhero story that I think is a lot more rooted in the real world. And then, like I said, just the the way that everything works together to tell a story that's coherent and impactful and well-written, I just really appreciate. But yeah, I don't really have any new things to add or any changed opinions. My opinion of this has been set for a very long time, and there's nothing <laughs> anyone could do to change it. <laughs> so let's uh, transition into our favorite panels. And since this is my story, I'll go ahead and go first. Um, my favorite panel is more of a page it's in issue two it's the first page of issue two and it's when the woman from the police station is being interviewed about you know what happened when magneto came in and i just think the last panel of that page where we see the way that people see magneto is really interesting it's one of those flashback panels that's all in red um mm -hmm. and the way that he's drawn is just he is a monster like he is the terminator and i uh i really enjoy it i like seeing magneto from other people's perspective in a story where we hear so much or read so much about his own perspective on himself yeah i think that's well illustrated by how i have a hard time recognizing him without the mask like the mask is the persona is mm -hmm. the person to me yeah even though i have all these insights yep so my favorite panel is from issue one um i think it's about halfway through and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the impact of the story, although it might with the skill of the um, artist and the pacing and the storyboarding. But it's uh, a whole page of Magneto's like plot wall. It's a yeah. it's a weird thing. I really love plot walls when they're done well. <laughs> um, I people will remember that I've been replaying Dishonored two for the last several weeks and. I think about a quarter of my enjoyment of it is a plot wall that feels like a plot wall simulator that I'm actually participating in. Oh, I love it so much. But this, like, a lot of people draw plot walls that don't make any sense. This one makes sense. He's tracking cases in the newspaper and he's pinned them to where they take place because he's trying to track people down. And he's like Xing things out and certain, and it is like an accurate plot wall and I just appreciate it so much. The it. end. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite panel is from volume one. It's actually uh, the introduction to where Magneto is, which is in a motel. It's like page three and page four. Um, the last panel I'm going to say is my favorite panel, but to like make everyone understand what I'm talking about, I kind of have to introduce the previous page. What it is is Magneto's monologue basically introducing us to his character this is the first time we're we're hearing his monologue speak he is in a motel we see his motel room we see like computers a disordered bed a coffee maker a lot of actually shots of this coffee maker and coffee pot <laughs> um and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna read the panels to you to live among the stars to rule jungle kingdoms to guide entire nations only to find oneself here. A self-loathing man might see this as deserved punishment. A vain man might compare this descent to the Christian devil's fall from heaven. Me? This is my favorite panel. I think the coffee's not terrible. <laughs> He's such a dick. He's 
such a self-important dick. This is what he's saying to himself. <laughs> Not at an important moment when one would no. self-monologue while getting his morning Just totally coffee. mundane. Oh, I love him. He's such a useless dick. <laughs> he's a theater kid, okay? He has to build just just monotonous moments in your everyday life into these the best part is a vain man might compare this descent to the christian devil's fall from heaven it's like okay but you do we know that that's what you think that's what you're doing right now um there's a meme let's say if magneto had a fedora instead of a mask he would be the person from this meme who this girl says don't pretend that you know, you got off the first time you have sex. The person I lost my virginity to wrote a play about the experience, and my character did a monologue about how she had been ruined for everyone else because he was so good at sex. It's like, that's the theater kid that Magneto would have been. (laughs) This is the type of man Magneto is. And I think it just, it's so good. It's so good. It tells you exactly who Magneto is. It just really, if you were wondering <laughs> how self-important Magneto thinks he is. And he just, he looks so grim and like, he's like determined. And he's pouring his coffee and he's got his mug and there's some steam coming off the mug and he's just like, look at me. Everyone look at me. I am a man drinking his coffee. And then he lists all the names that he's had. God. He's mugging for the camera while drinking his coffee alone in a motel oh, room. He is the this worst. Is what he lives for. He is the worst. He doesn't need other people to to give his drama to. He's giving it to himself. Yeah. All the world's a stage. All, all the, the world's, world's a, stage. a stage. You'll learn. And You'll all, learn it, all the and men and women, it. merely people I don't care about because I'm the only audience I need. <laughs> It was it it just tickled me. I loved I loved this scene and that was my favorite panel. Him standing there looking Glorious. like he was a man on a mission with his coffee. <laughs> <laughs> just really really oh mm, so good. Mm, so tasty you can chew it in your mouth. Um so all of these panels, I'm gonna post them to our Instagram. Check us out at the SJW Comics Cast on Instagram, same as Twitter. With that why don't we all be led into our self-care corner by me and imagine you were Magneto. (laughs) And you were the most important person in the world. (laughs) The most important person in the world and you need self-care. What was something you guys did this week that was promoting your own self-care by doing something that relieves stress or by doing something that made you happy? Or just kind of at this point in 2020, just suppress, just suppress the <laughs> suppress sadness, the horror, and the horror. <laughs> um, I'll go first because mine is probably the worst. I did the kind of um, quote unquote self care that Instagram wants to sell you, and I drank a lot of tea. It does not <laughs> help in the long run. It did not ease my mind, but I felt much like wearing face masks and doing aromatherapy, like. I was giving myself a fake, cheap, unhelpful spa day. <laughs> Were nice. you hydrated? No. <laughs> oh, dang. Okay, never mind. I ran out of caffeine-free tea, so I'm drinking tea with caffeine. So I think that dehydrates you. <laughs> well, I tried. Yeah. And also, I put a lot of sugar in it, so also 
calories. <laughs> so well, it's not go. pop. It's not. I did drink this whole giant soda uh, in booze oh, drinks. I am trying to help you. <laughs> I needed the Coke and to Veronica's drink booze. Veronica's like, no, no, no. I, no, no, no. I've been drinking soda pop, all of that. Yeah. Like, it's all. I'm not hydrated. I'm I'm just, I'm garbage. Garbage. I've been, I've been reading Reddit all day and just like <laughs> cycling into an ever lowering cycle of unhealthy habits. So, Don't give me anything. That. Don't give me <clears throat> no. anything. Garbage. Nope. Garbage. All right. So let's take that uplifting note and move on to Monte's self-care. So what I have been doing to make give to make myself feel like I have a little bit more meaning and impact on the world is text banking in North Carolina and Georgia and Florida one day. So this episode is going to come out after the election is over. Uh-huh. So it will no longer be valid. Uh, but I I do think that a big part of it helps to decrease the anxiety of what we are experiencing collectively as a nation when you do something that is not going to cause you a ton of stress or inconvenience you a lot, but is going to make a difference a little bit. Like I did get a few people who answered and were like, oh, I forgot, you know, I I didn't know that this was a thing and like now I'll be able to vote or whatever. So I did actually get like a few voters who were last minute people who weren't sure whether they were going to vote who changed their mind or people who just didn't have a plan to vote and then i was able to direct them to the resources to help them get to the polls so that uh you know feels good and even though the election will be over there'll still be a ton of need for people to get involved because regardless of who wins this country is fucked up and really needs young people to get involved. So I would just encourage everyone to do that, regardless of the outcome of what happened on Tuesday. Which we are unaware of, yes. but you will be when this episode is posted. Yes. Yes. And we will this be is... too. So the tone of our next episode is just, <laughs> whew, it really is up in the air. <laughs> Who knows what it's going to be like. Uh, the The dread. of uncertainty i would also just really encourage um people to donate to local charities and local bail funds and things like that just because getting involved really does make you feel so not to magneto's level of impact (laughs) on the world uh but it does just doing something feels so much better than scrolling through Twitter or Facebook or seeing a bunch of doom and gloom news stories. It really does feel so yes. much better to actually do something. Like psychologically speaking, yeah. it does make you feel better. I don't want to give my self-care corner because it sounds like shit next to yours, Monte. <laughs> All right, everyone forget well, what Monte that just always said. the case? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Aren't I the best at... Actually, didn't one week I did literally nothing? So, (laughs) I mean, I literally didn't have anything to say, so... Still better than me. (laughs) Well, this week... and, And this is actually something I encourage not people to stress out about, but, um... This week, I actually ordered online the gifts for you guys for Christmas. Oh, getting a head start. Um, because I know that... Just as a fair warning to anyone listening to this, if you want to buy somebody a gift 
for Christmas in 2020 and you have to buy it online, try to do it before Thanksgiving because USPS, like just like 2020 is just like everyone's ordering more stuff online. There's obviously a pandemic, which reduces like workforces and stuff like that. They're already crazy busy now in October slash November. They're going to be even, it's just the workload is going to be crazy. So like if you want to make sure that you get someone's gift in time, try to order it before Thanksgiving because it will be crazy. All right. So next week, we're going to read my final comic of the season, which is uh, Ms. Marvel, volume three, number one through five, which is the advent of Kamala Khan. And as you guys can see on the Zoom call, I already have it. I know Monte is worried that it won't be good when he wants to like it so much, but I can at least say I've had it sitting on my desk here um, and I keep getting distracted by it because I don't know. There's something about I haven't read it yet, but there's something about her on the page that's like really magnetic. So hopefully it's good. I'm very excited for it, but I'm also terrified because it's a story about a teenager. Teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a very recent story about a modern, diverse teenager. So, I mean, one person can't be diverse, but you know what I mean. You mean not white. Yes, that's what I mean. (laughs) And a woman. (laughs) Yes. Or a girl, I guess. She's a child. Yes. So hopefully we can all have fun reading that one and we'll be reading that for next week so that's it for this week if you enjoyed our show please like and subscribe and if you're on apple Podcasts, especially please leave a review with five stars we would appreciate it very much if you want to keep up with us on social media you can find us on twitter and instagram at sjw comics cast or email us directly at sjw comics podcast at gmail.com so This was our podcast. We will see you next week. Uh, Goodbye. Bye. Bye.